Welcome to Public Policy This Week, a well-rounded weekly discussion of policy issues that frame today's American experience. Good morning. It's Friday, and you've joined us for Public Policy This Week here on KYMN Radio. Public Policy This Week is dedicated to the honest and open discussion of public policy issues. Each week, we take a look at a specific policy subject, and we have guests on our show who are experts in their fields. I'm John Olson, one of your hosts for this morning's show, and the man sitting next to me is Joe Moravchik, your other host. Our show today is on the U.S. Farm Bill, how it's designed, what it does, and the incentive structures built into the bill to influence agricultural policy, not only in the, not only in the United States, but all around the world. We'll also tackle how the Farm Bill directly and indirectly impacts Minnesota's agricultural economy. We have two amazing guests to help us to learn about these topics today. Our first guest is former Representative Colin Peterson, who served in the U.S. House of Representatives for 30 years, representing western Minnesota's 7th Congressional District. He served twice as chair of the House Agriculture Committee. Our second guest is Minnesota's Commissioner of Agriculture, Tom Peterson. Commissioner Peterson was appointed by Governor Tim Walz in 2019. Before being appointed commissioner, Tom Peterson served as the Director of Government Relations for Minnesota Farmers Union, working on behalf of MFU's farmer members in both Washington, D.C. and St. Paul. He has a wide range of experience in state and federal farm policy and travels to almost every county in Minnesota each year to fully understand how these policies affect farmers' daily lives. Representative Peterson and Commissioner Peterson, welcome to Public Policy this week. Where, where are you two gentlemen sitting this morning? Representative Peterson? Okay, I'm sitting in my uh, house, office at my house in uh, Detroit Lakes, on, on Floyd Lake, north of Detroit Lakes, uh, where I live. I've been here for a long time. Been here since uh, 678. So, so we're on Zoom, uh, all of us, and, and Joe and I were noting the guitars hanging on the wall behind you. You're, you're, you're going to have to explain that so our audience understands uh, the, the musician part of you. Yeah, well, I played music for many, many years, starting back when I was in college. Uh, and I probably should have stuck with it because I was on the same tour as Conway Twitty and Jerry Lee Lewis back in the 60s. Oh. And and I was about ready to flunk out of college because I was playing every night and getting in at five in the morning from South Dakota or whatever. And so I quit playing so I could concentrate on college. And uh, I might have made a mistake. So you know, <laughs> I might have made the big time with Conway and uh, Jerry Lee. So, <laughs> But that's water over the dam. <laughs> well, we have high hopes that you'll maybe make something of yourself during your career. Uh, Commissioner yeah, Peterson, <laughs> how about you, Commissioner Peterson? Where are you sitting this morning? I'm uh, sitting in my office in St. Paul, uh, uh, so uh, great to join you uh, this morning. Representative Peterson, I'd, I'd really like to spend the first half hour talking about music, but <laughs> but uh, let's let's get to the Farm Bill. What is What exactly is the Farm Bill? Well, it's, uh, it's a massive piece of legislation that is passed every five years, or at least it's supposed to be passed every five years, and uh, the last few times, it's not made it exactly on time, but it eventually gets done. And what it does, it it, it authorizes the uh, all of the different farm programs that are used by people in agriculture. Uh, you know, in Congress, the normal process is you got to go to the authorizing committee, get a program authorized, and then you got to go to the appropriators, which is a different committee, and get the money to actually fund it. 
So a lot of the farm bill is what's called mandatory spending, uh, which uh, doesn't require you to go through that process. The money comes out of the CCC and is basically authorized in the farm bill. Uh, and then the, the appropriators end up appropriating whatever it spends. And so, so the, the, the way it works, uh, the reason it's basically permanent funding or uh, uh, mandatory funding is that it's funded by programs, not by dollars. So in other words, it's driven by uh, a certain, like uh, the PLC program, for example. If the farmer's in that, it, there's a you know system and, and it, it just spends whatever this, the system spends and then the appropriators pay for it. So it's, so we've got a lot of the farm bill, including food stamps, uh, Title I, crop insurance. Many of those things are funded under what's called mandatory funding. And uh, it's the same thing that funds Social Security, funds Medicare, Medicaid is, is also mandatory funding. In fact, uh, I think it's about 85, 90% of the federal budget now is mandatory funding, which some people have said, one of the reasons why we have a, a big deficit. Uh, but it funds, you know, all of, you know, Title I, dairy, crop insurance, conservation, uh, NRCS, uh, you know, all the different parts of the farm, rural development, all the different parts of the farm bill. Uh, Representative Peterson, can you give us a sense of what it really takes to pull that farm bill together each time it's written? Uh, give us a sense of the stakeholders who testify before Congress, how, how federal and state government, and I'm assuming primarily executive branch offices, and even corporate stakeholders impact the bill's core policies and programs, that, that sort of thing. I, I don't think many of our listeners, and certainly not Joe and me, uh, we have no idea, real idea how complex this bill really is or how the funds are authorized and appropriate to fully fund uh, those programs inside the farm bill. Well, it's uh, that's a complicated question. Well, that's but, why we're uh, here. <laughs> <laughs> it's, um, you know, so when you're the chairman, uh, everybody that's affected by this bill wants to talk to you. And the way it works in Congress, the chairman of the committee and the ranking member have way more to say about this than anybody else. Uh, because it doesn't operate like the state legislature, you know. So, so you know, we have to consult our other members and make sure that their interests are taken care of. But it really boils down to the staff and the chairman and the ranking member uh, do most of this work. So it is a very difficult thing to do, and it's getting worse every time we do it. In 2007, when I was chairman the first time, we had the, the bill failed on the floor of the House for the first time in history. And the reason it failed was because of, of food stamps. Hmm. Uh, as we had made an agreement, or Frank Lucas had made an agreement with, uh, at that time, Eric Cantor, who was the, the uh, uh, whip of the House. Uh, he had an amendment that was put forward by these people down in Florida trying to put work requirements on food stamps. And Frank had talked him out of offering it. So we got all through all 12 amendments that we had authorized on the floor. And we thought we were home free. And then this guy named Steve Sutherland from Florida uh, stood up and offered this amendment. And uh, it's one of those things where the Republicans don't dare vote against anything that says there's work requirements. So they all, including Frank Lucas, had to vote for the amendment. And then the bill failed. 
And so Cantor comes running over to me and says, you got to do something, you know? And I said, what do you mean I can do something? You know, you had promised we weren't going to have this amendment, you know? Well, you know, it's, anyway, it, so it took nine months to get the bill back together again. Uh, you know, so that was the first glitch in the world. In the, so t- 2013, we had the same problem. The bill failed again on the floor of the house over food stamps. And then in in 2018, the same thing. You know, so we've had the same issue the last three times. And I keep telling the Republicans that if you want to get a, a farm bill, you know, you, you got to take you got to keep the food stamps so that the Democrats can live with whatever it is. And they aren't listening very well because now they're talking about uh, on the debt ceiling issue, uh, issue that they're talking about now. They're talking about putting these work requirements in the debt ceiling. You know, which might help the farm bill, but um, anyway, so it's very difficult, and you have to you have to understand all parts of the country, because the south southeast is different than the Midwest is different than the Northeast is different than the California. You know, it's every part of the country has different ag, and you gotta basically. Well, I think I say this: you gotta make everybody equally unhappy. <laughs> uh, you know, so they, so you, you kind of you don't give them what they want. You give them what they can live with, and everybody's not really happy about the outcome. But that's about the best you can do. And uh, some people want to get the food stamps out of the farm bill. In my opinion, if you don't have that nutrition in the farm bill, you will not be able to pass a bill because uh, most of the country, ninety ninety five percent, is urban, uh, and they care about. You know, nutrition, school lunch, uh, rural development, maybe to some extent, but they don't really care about crop insurance or about Title One or dairy programs or the other things that the ag people care about. And so, in order to get enough votes, you got to make the urban people happy so that they've got something to vote for. And then, you know, the one percent of us that are in agriculture can have our part of the bill passed as well. I could ask a quick follow-up on that the the corporate interests that are around even just here in minnesota do you get a <clears throat> is that typical corporate lobbying on on the chair and the ranking member of the committee not not in not in terms of the farm bill yeah i haven't really noticed that the corporate people are that much engaged on the farm bill they get engaged on specific issues when they come under fire for whatever reason you know the uh you know so you know they're paying attention to the farm bill, but that's not their main thing. Uh, you know, it's it's the commodity groups are very involved in this. Uh, you've got certain councils around the country, the Southwest Council, the Delta Council. We are now establishing a Midwest Council uh, for us in the Midwest. For I've been working on that for the last couple of years, so those people weigh in. But uh, you know, we have all new people basically. We have a new chairman who's never been through this before. Uh, we have a ranking member who's never been through this in the House. Uh, we have Stabenow who has been through it, uh, and uh, she's tough to deal with because she wants everything for Michigan. And then you have a ranking member over in the, in the Senate that's also never been through this. Plus, in the House, you have 11 freshmen that have been appointed to the committee that have no background in agriculture to speak of hmm. and mo- have most of them don't have any agriculture in their district. So how this is all going to come together is a mystery, but, um, 
you know, I've, I keep telling I'm optimistic, you know, they'll somewhere or another, they'll figure out how to do this. <laughs> uh, as we understand it, Representative Peterson, there are many sections to the Farm Bill, each one covering a different part of the overall agricultural economy. Each section is referred to as a title. Is that right? Could you explain That's the right. title? Yeah, so or- there's 11 titles. Uh, title one is your uh, crop supports, you know, PLC, uh, 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 ARC, those programs. Title two is, I can't even say what that is now. Uh, that doesn't get on our radar screen very often. Uh, crop insurance is title 11. Uh, uh, rural development is uh, title, I, I can't remember the numbers, sure. but it's rural, it's conservation, I guess, title two. Uh, rural development, I think, is four. Uh, you know, I never really talked about them based on their numbers, but uh, there's 11 different titles. Uh, the primary ones are are the crop insurance, conservation, uh, title one for the crops. Uh, uh, you know, there's, there's also mandatory price reporting and and some other things that are in there. And well, Tom, you may be you may be known by the numbers better than I do. Uh, So why don't we go ahead and, and, and switch over. i got a question for uh, Commissioner Peterson. You're, you're in your fifth year as the Ag Commissioner for Minnesota. Wh- which of those Farm Bill titles are the most important to Minnesota's farmers and our state's uh, agriculture economy? Well, that's a great question, uh, and I, I did cheat a little bit, and uh, I, I did have them all in front of me here, Colin. So, well, good. Uh, I'm yeah. glad somebody, you know, I, I, I've been doing this so long, and I just figure I've I can't get stumped, but this nobody's ever asked yeah, me about no, the, and you don't, the you don't numbers always, of the titles. <laughs> yeah, you don't always remember the titles. Title one's an easy one because it's the commodity, and you hear about that a lot. And that is, you know, uh, you know, uh, you know, for me as a as ag commissioner and farmers, you know, I always look at the farm bill as a as a safety net. You know, it attracts a lot of attention and on how much we pay farmers or different things like that. But ultimately. The farm bill is there to provide a safety net for farmers uh, in times when their, you know, prices are tough. And we've had that in the recent, you know, uh, in recent years, you know, 2018, we had very low prices when this uh, went in. In fact, we had the lowest prices in 2018 that we had had uh, in uh, in 2023 years. So farmers average income was $26,000 that year. And you know, we're lucky that it's come back, but those programs are very important when that happens. So the commodity title and then dairy has been very important too with the dairy title and Representative Peterson worked on that quite a bit. Uh, you know, in the dairy, we have the number one participation of any uh, of any state in that dairy program. And we, um, you know, we use those programs at the state. We leverage uh, some of those and maybe put some incentives in to get farmers to join um, also, Minnesota being the land of 10,000 lakes, the uh, the title two is the um, conservation title, you know, uh, having uh, different water quality programs. We've leveraged uh, like our RCPP program, which is a re- regional conservation program into creating a water quality program in the state where we have almost a million acres enrolled in uh 1300 farmers that are doing conservation practices across the state. So, uh, 
you know, all of them are, you know, very important. If you uh, trade is another one, uh, that's Title III, the Trade Promotion Act. Uh, just, you know, looking uh, today, meeting to look at what uh, countries we're going to go to uh, for our trade missions. And there's dollars in there that support uh, the work that the Foreign Ag Service does around the country, which is incredibly important to Minnesota. Um, but, you know, all the, all the, all the titles are important, you know, um, you know, whether it's uh, energy, rural development, they all provide different things to the state. In in Minnesota, our budget here at the Department of Agriculture, about 13% of our budget uh, comes from the uh, farm bill. So it was very, very helpful. I'd like to follow up on that uh, trade promotion, if I could, because I also do the show National Security this week. And one of the things we talk about is the economic engagement with the world. Uh, I know during the Obama administration, Minnesota leaders went to Cuba uh, to try and open up uh, trade opportunities with Cuba. Is that something that might be on the radar for Minnesota again? It is, you know, and, uh, you know, oddly enough, I bumped into former governor uh, Jesse Ventura at the Capitol yesterday. And, you know, it was 20 years ago that he led a delegation to Cuba. Uh, and, uh, you know, and so that's something that we've been looking at. Uh, we have farmers who are interested in doing business and companies uh, uh, increasing. It's very close. It's not a huge market, but it's uh, an important market and it's close to our borders. You know, it's, uh, you know, when you're looking at where we can make uh, some dollars and uh, do some goodwill, the governor has uh, been supportive of trade with Cuba. And uh, so it is something that we're looking at trying to do in the next year or two is, uh, you know, and always navigating the different uh, diplomatic uh, pieces with Cuba too as well. And, and another follow-up question for both of you on the international trade piece. Uh, we know that because of the, the Russian invasion of Ukraine that a lot of those supplies from Russia and Ukraine uh, for lots of different commodities have been significantly disrupted. Uh, do either of you see really good opportunities for Minnesota farmers to take advantage of that trade disruption, other countries in the world that, that we could export things to? Yeah, it's really it's you know it's unfortunate you know that uh, you know the conflict brings opportunity you know and so um, but there there definitely is you know if you look at the production uh, you know that uh, you know has decreased in both Russia and the Ukraine uh, grain that's sitting in the ports uh, that's not able to uh, get there as you know. Uh, uh, we're able to fill some of those more high quality uh, pieces around the globe. And so that has helped us uh, quite a bit. But there's also uh, there provide a lot of fertilizer to the world. And we don't get a lot of fertilizer per se from Russia. But when other countries aren't, uh, you know, that they're taking from us. So it's going to impact fertilizer prices globally. So there's a good and good and bad to the whole situation. And then, of course, we do have companies that, uh, do business there in, in both countries. And, uh, you know, so it's, uh, you know, it's been uh, tumultuous to uh, put it, um, but there are some opportunities there. Yeah. Representative Pearson, any thoughts on those, uh, on the conflict uh, opportunities and challenges with that? Well, conflict? yeah, I mean, there, there maybe is, I'm not sure. The problem with that is it's, you know, well, it depends on how the war goes, but uh, it may not be long-term. Hmm. Uh, if they ever get their act together over there, uh, <laughs> you know, Ukraine, uh, Romania, uh, some of these countries have the ability, if they got their act together, to basically blow us out of the water. Some of some of these commodities, uh, you know, they're not farming. You know, they're not utilizing the land like they could or should. 
Uh, and I was over there a number of years ago, right after the uh, Soviet Union came apart. And they had so poisoned the water with these co-ops that they had uh, that the farmers would not go back on the land because they had been screwed over by their own co-op leaders. Mm. And so uh, they were asking me if I could find farmers in Minnesota that would be willing to come to Romania. And uh, they said, well, we'll actually give them land if they come here. Uh, you know, but they have to bring their equipment and uh, knowledge and and uh, they have to stay here for a while and uh, couldn't find too many Minnesotans that want to go live in Romania. <laughs> but uh, so so the thing is, it's it's an opportunity. But I tell people on this trade stuff, it's trade is good. And it's you know, it's part it's a big part of uh, some of these commodities. But it's not something that you can count on because things can happen that can disrupt it, that have nothing to do with anything that we can control. Hmm. And so, you know, I've had people come into my office and say, oh, we got this opportunity on so many exports. You know, we need to get ramp up our production so we can take advantage of this, you know, and they don't think about that in a year or two that could go away. And then what do you do? You know, so you've got to temper this. You've got to kind of look at it from a long-term standpoint and make sure that it fits in, uh, you know, with the overall scheme of things. And so I just, you know, it's like Cuba. I've been to Cuba, uh, and the people in Cuba don't have any money, <laughs> you know. So you talk about a market. Well, yeah, it's it's a market, but there's, there's not a lot of money to buy anything in Cuba, you know, and uh, – <laughs> You know, it's it's. I think the biggest opportunity in Cuba is rice, hmm. and we don't grow rice. <laughs> right, right. You know, when I was over there, this um, Miguel Miguel Canal Diaz, that's now the president, he was vice president. So I met with him, and he was telling me at the time that uh, I was out in the country and saw all this land sitting idle, and it had been in sugar beets. It had been in the sugar cane. And I, you know, now they, they've, all the plants are closed down. Uh, Cuba doesn't produce sugar anymore, you know, and they're, they're basically out of the business completely. Well, this has historically been a big prop for them. Uh, so he starts in that, they said, we're going to do this land. And he starts in, well, we're going to go out and reestablish the sugar industry. We're going to build some sugar plants and we're going to get the farmers to plant sugar cane. And I said, why would you do that? I said, the sugar is is already oversupplied in the world market. And it's, uh, you know, that's the last thing you should be doing. You know, if you, what you should be doing is taking that land and putting it into fruits and vegetables and things that can be utilized by your people for healthy diets and make it affordable and so forth. I think I talked them out of it. I just said, this is not a good idea. You guys get into this, you're going to get in a war not only with us, but bunch of other countries that are subsidizing their sugar production and it's not something you're going to be able to you know to survive in so so there's opportunities and there's also dangers you just got to be careful those are great those are great points uh, for our audience you're listening to public policy this week on KYMN radio AM 1080 and FM 95.1 we're broadcasting from downtown Northfield Minnesota I'm John Olson, and my co-host Joe Moravchek and I are talking with former U.S. Representative Colin Peterson and Minnesota Agricultural Commissioner Tom Peterson about the U.S. Farm Bill and the agricultural economy in Minnesota. John and I understand that 
politics is about the art of the possible, pragmatism, that might be an optimistic view at this point. (laughs) (laughs) That sometimes trade-offs must be made to get legislation across the finish line. Things are built into some bills, especially critical bills like the Farm Bill, because certain constituencies want that language and they are also key stakeholders in the whole process. The bill must get signed into law. It's vital. So the give and take among members of Congress is likely pretty significant. I wonder if we could discuss the things that are not included in the Farm Bill. Representative Peterson, are there things not covered in the Farm Bill that should be in the bill? Or perhaps, in contrast, are there things in the bill that shouldn't be in the bill? So we want to see things that should be in the bill, in your opinion, and things that that maybe shouldn't be in the bill. Well, so you're getting into the question of mandatory versus discretionary spending. You bet. <laughs> and that's that's really what this is about, you know, in terms. So there are people out there trying to become part of the mandatory spending because that simplifies. If they get into the farm bill as mandatory spending, it becomes part of the baseline. And that money then is carried forward and you don't have to go find that money again. You don't. It doesn't get caught up in the deficit uh, debate and all that sort of stuff. Uh, so you've got people that generally have been wanting to get into the farm bill so they can get into the mandatory uh, funding. Well, that's actually changed in the last few years here because the farm bill's been so screwed up and it, it's been uh, hard to get it through. So now you got people coming in wanting to be in discretionary spending in agriculture, which is on, never was like that before. So you've got, you know, kind of people all over the map. So they, they look at things and they try to figure out uh, what's their best option to accomplish whatever they're trying to accomplish. And, uh, you know, I think we're basically covering uh, what, um, what needs to be covered. I think the one place that I think we're falling short is and research uh, that's available for uh, policymakers. Uh, so the Southerners, through Texas A&M and FAPRI, have had a program that's been funded out of USDA to uh, to do research on farm programs and be able to uh, tell their folks, you know, what works and what doesn't, and so forth. I would say that that having that system has allowed the Southerners to have a better safety net than we have because they've had more information. So I'm trying to set that up in the, up here in the, in the Midwest, and it's going to take extra money to do that. But I think that's money that could be very well spent. Uh, you know, there's a lot of research out there that's basically focused on the farmers, you know, and getting through extension, getting them information about how to grow better crops and do this and that. But you'd be surprised at how little is available for policymakers, uh, you know, that want to make a major change in in, uh, programs. So like when I did the dairy program, it took me 10 years and I screwed it up the first time through because I listened to the milk milk producers. But, um, you know, but I didn't have the information I needed. I kind of knew, but nobody would listen to me. And, uh, you know, I finally got Scott Brown at at, uh, Capri in Missouri to help me with this. And we finally got it right. And it really settled the war within the dairy industry for the first time in many, many years. Uh, We have the same thing going on right now in livestock. Uh, We have this fight over 
these cattle bills, uh, uh, price discovery bills, and and uh, uh, Grassley Fisher bill, and uh, uh, you know, it, and it's very divisive within the industry. You know, one one side believes it works, the other side doesn't. What we really need is more information, because nobody can really tell you. <laughs> what works and what doesn't. And I'll tell you what doesn't work in my experience is ideology. Yeah. <laughs> if you're convinced that something works because that's your ideology, I would say you're in trouble, <laughs> you know? So, so I'm trying to use my credibility, whatever is left of it to try to establish uh, some <laughs> policy stuff within the university systems. And right now we're working on something with cattle uh, with Nebraska we're working with dairy with Wisconsin. Uh, we're working on crop insurance and risk management with North Dakota. Uh, so we're in the process of working through this. But I think that is a place where some money could be very well spent and would keep us from going off and spending money uh, based on some ideology that maybe doesn't work. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, Commissioner Peterson, from your perspective as uh, as Minnesota's Commissioner of Agriculture, are, are there things you'd like to see in the farm bill or, or perhaps even taken out of the farm bill uh, from the state of Minnesota perspective? Anything that really benefit Minnesota or does harm to Minnesota? Well, there's so much, uh, you know, and I always think, too, when you think about what's in or what's out of the farm bill and all the groups that, you know, for many years, I'd bring a group of farmers union members out many times to lobby uh, Representative Peterson and it was always a fun thing, and I always remember one time sitting out there and and talking and you know and saying uh, there's there's some guys out there the chickpea growers. I don't remember where they're from, maybe Montana and North Dakota. You got to tell them they're not going to be in the farm bill. So it's always interesting to to <laughs> but, see the different things that. Uh, but <laughs> eventually, eventually, uh, Tom, they did get in the farm bill. Yeah, and uh, uh, that's great. Yeah, yeah, because because uh, Kent Conrad. <laughs> insisted, you know, and so he got those pulse crops into the farm bill. It took him 10, 15 years, but he got it done. So. It's Yeah, but just kind of funny story when you look at like all the different crops and things that, you know, Minnesota really, because, you know, we had Representative Peterson, the farm bill in general works really, really well for Minnesota and has a lot of good pieces in it. You know, we talked about the water uh, and the conservation pieces that are really important. A couple things I think are going to be you know, maybe we haven't talked about a little bit that have been in the farm bill or that I get questions about or that want to be uh, stronger payment limitations mm -hmm. on the commodity titles. And I think those are really hard, uh, you know, that we could have whatever a more meaningful uh, limitation. And, uh, you know, uh, Representative Peters probably has, you know, different feelings and could tell you why or why not that's happened. But that's something that I think, you know, our uh, environmental working group put out, uh you know, some of the things this, this, uh, like they do every year showing the commodities and who gets what and everything. And, um, you know, I always think that's good and bad because it, but I, I hate that it demonizes farmers for, uh, what they, uh, accept, uh, as payments sometimes and everything. But, uh, but I do think that's something that would be, you know, something they need, uh, Congress needs to look at, but there's a lot of reasons on that. One of the things that was in the, uh, 2018 farm bill that we'd like to con uh, continue was, um, something that Representative Emmer and, uh, Senator Smith, uh, had, uh, worked on too was, uh, mental health, uh, help, uh, and so that was really good that the state of Minnesota got a, a, a half a million dollar 
uh, grant as all 50 states did to help with mental health uh, for farmers. And that's been, you know, really helpful uh, that we're able to uh, do a lot of great programming in our state where we have uh, two uh, mental health counselors, we have farm advocates, we have a lot of resources to uh, help our farmers. Uh, so, you know, just a couple of quick thoughts on that too, as well. What, what about I just, uh, yeah, go ahead. If sir. I could just jump in. So this is one of the things that if you uh, monkey with payment limitations, <laughs> you won't have a farm bill. <laughs> I'll guarantee you, you know, so I had to walk that line, uh, you know, between the, the, the South and the North and, and the east and the west, uh, you know, uh, and I'm not a big believer in payment limitations. I think, I think that uh, the government, you know, we screw up all kinds of stuff with the government, <laughs> you know, and uh, I don't think the government is smart enough to figure out how big a farm should be, you know, <laughs> and and I think we get into that whole debate, and it's we're wasting a lot of time and energy, you know, I. Uh, what we, what I, my position was, instead of going after the big guys, let's help the small farmers, you know, get started. So when I took over in 07, I created an organic subcommittee hmm. to help, you know, the small farmers, you know, that were in the organic area get started, and they've been very successful. You know, uh, we also the local food stuff and the value at the producer value added producer grants and that sort of thing that we put into the bill. Uh, you know, the dairy stuff where we put a, uh, a thing for 200 cows or less uh, in, in this dairy margin coverage where those small dairy farmers cannot lose money if they take that program. You know, so instead of dividing people between big and small, I think it's better if, to focus in on where there's some help that's needed and try to make that work and then let everybody do what they do best. You know, so, you know, we're blessed having the cheapest food in the world because we have very efficient producers. And one of the reasons they're efficient is because they're bigger in a lot of cases. Uh, can I ask both of you a sort of a follow-up question on that? I know crop insurance is part of the farm bill. How, how important is crop insurance to Minnesota's farmers? And, and I ask that because we've done some shows here on uh, on the changing climate, uh, some more severe weather, more flooding, more droughts, uh, a lot more hail, heavy storms, that kind of thing. H how important is the crop insurance to Minnesota's farmers? And either one of I, you could cover it. Well, I'd say it's the number one. It's the number one thing. Uh, you know, Title One used to be the big deal uh, for safety net. Now it's crop insurance, uh, and there's no question about that. That is the number one thing that farmers are concerned about. It's the number one thing that they rely on to get financed. Uh, without crop insurance, a lot of people would not be in business, you know. And we got to be careful. If you screw this up, uh, and there's people out there trying to tie crop insurance to climate, that is a very bad idea. <laughs> because if if you don't have crop insurance for the, the mid-sized producers, you know, they won't be able to get financed. And if you screw that system up, what will happen is the big guys that have deep pockets will farm the whole country. And that's what's going on in Argentina and Brazil, you know, and they're very efficient, but that's not what we want. We want to have family farmers, we want to have uh, producers out there that are tied to the community. And, uh, you know, so I'm concerned about some of the things that are put out there by people because they don't understand the effect that they're going to have if they actually get their way. Yeah. And Tom might have a different point of view, but 
No, I totally agree. If you just look at Minnesota in general, 2019, we had the wettest year on record. Uh, and we had, uh, you know, um, you know, over a million acres didn't get planted. Some counties in southwest Minnesota were over, you know, uh, 50%, uh, you know, not planted. Um, we also that then that fall had our uh, uh, um, potatoes and beets and different crops frozen in the ground. We had 2021, we had the worst drought we've had in 40 years. Again, last year, we had a late plant uh, situation. And so, the crop insurance has been incredibly important to uh, farmers. So one thing I'd say is, uh, you know, we have a strong, you know, crop insurance doesn't make farmers whole, as I'm reminded, uh, you know, quite often, far, you know, crop insurance helps them get to another year, but it's that's incredibly important. And then, uh, you know, one thing we'd like to look at a little bit more too is, uh, you know, um, the livestock side is having, uh, and, and uh, Congressman Peterson really worked on that, trying to boost that up some. But, you know, that we've seen problems with the the continuing drought that we've had. And and then looking at crop insurance, uh, one of the things that, uh, you know, again, some changes have been made. Angie Craig worked on a piece that, um a lot of times farmers you know, they're required maybe to plant a cover crop when they didn't uh uh you know uh be able to plant their crop and they went into what's called preventive plant and then they can't harvest or they have to take a penalty and uh some of those things that we need some flexibility in our both our conservation programs and our crop insurance programs because i think it's frustrating to me that we put money into beginning farmer programs and then if we had just a little more flexibility in some of our programs, we'd be able to keep some of the farmers where uh, in the drought, for example, uh, we couldn't harvest a CRP and emergency uh, declarations. We weren't able to move our, our dates uh, because of the uh, different things that have been negotiated. And so there's always things to me that I think that, you know, um, you know, if we could have a little more flexibility and common sense sometimes within the USDA being able to make choices on the fly. But sometimes the farm bill and as, as Congressman Peterson said, you know, that's what's negotiated in to get the deal done. And so, uh, but in the, I, I agree the uh, crop insurance title is incredibly important. Okay. Oh, uh, Representative Peterson, you're, uh, you're muted, sir. <laughs> oh, you gotta, you gotta take yourself off, uh, off a of mute on the system. There we go. All right. <laughs> uh, so, so uh, what the heck were we? Uh, Crop insurance. Yeah. So I'm trying to think of the point that I was going to make. Uh, uh, I think it's uh, it's gone past me. So we'll have to, <laughs> maybe it'll okay. come up again. So. That's all right. For our audience, you're listening to Public Policy This Week on KYMN Radio, AM 1080 and FM 95.1. Oh. We're broadcasting from downtown Northfield, Minnesota. I'm Joe Moravchik. My co-host is John Olson. We're speaking with former U.S. Representative Colin Peterson and Minnesota Agriculture, Agriculture Commissioner Tom Peterson about the U.S. Farm Bill and the agricultural economy here in Minnesota. Representative I, I, Peterson, remember, yeah. I, I remember what it was. So the, the problem is uh, farmers are the smartest people in the world. And if you give them an opportunity, they will figure out how to work the system. Uh, because they got a lot of time riding around on the tractor to think about things. Uh, now they don't even have to drive the tractor, you know, uh, so forth. So one of the things you have to think about if you're a leader on the Ag Committee 
is, you know, if you open this thing up too much, are you going to somehow or another uh, open, you know, cause problems? Uh, so one one example, uh, I was trying to develop a new crop uh, back in 2007. So we set up this BCAP program to give people an opportunity to grow switchgrass and some of these other grasses to try to make ethanol out of them, you know, with the cellulosic ethanol. Mm-hmm. So the Northeast uh, forestry people who were having trouble in their industry uh, making ends meet, and so they they bugged me and bugged me, and I and I, I spent six months fending them off. But at the at the end, on the floor of the house, I was told by the leadership that I had to give them what they wanted. So I put this amendment in for them, uh, which allowed them to use forestry to get into this BCAP program, which was supposed to cost seven million dollars. The way they put this language in there, it cost seven hundred million dollars, oh, and and it and it was used to finance what they had already been doing. Hmm. which was going backwards, you know, I mean, so that's the kind of stuff you have to be careful about. You know, uh, I've been trying to open up CRP, you know, frankly, CRP should be uh, grazed all the time. That's the best thing you can do with it is graze it. Let the cattle in there. That's, you know, uh, that, that's the best thing you can do. The next thing is to cut it, uh, you know, and, you know, you probably only want to cut it every other year, but we tried to open that stuff up. But you got the Western cattle people who are being subsidized through this BLM land. They don't want CRP to be to subsidize our people because it's competition to them. You know, and uh, one other thing we're fighting on again right now is when I was in Congress, uh, the Californians were trying to establish a wild rice business. Uh, and I had to put a provision in the law that they wanted to plant wild rice on program acres. So they got subsidized by the government to plant wild rice. And I put an, uh, so now that I'm gone, they got Garamendi and they're trying to do what he couldn't get done when I was there, <laughs> you know? So now we got to try to educate somebody else about that. So, you know, it's a lot of stuff that you got to be careful about because, uh, Farmers will figure out how to work the system. <laughs> uh, gentlemen, if we could, I'd like to ask uh, you about the cost of the farm bill. Uh, I'll be honest with you. I, I had no idea it was such a large amount of money that's authorized and appropriated for to support America's agricultural program, but also other programs. Uh, the last farm bill, uh, the 2018 one, was r- roughly $430 billion, if I did my research correctly. Uh, but not all of that funding covers agriculture, and, and some of that funding goes to food programs. Uh, both of you mentioned uh, SNAP. Uh, so the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, uh, would the nation be better served if that if that really important food program that's designed to support Americans in the greatest need of food security was in something other than the farm bill? I mean, you, you'd sort of hinted at that, Representative Peterson. Could we have a, a, a cleaner farm bill that really focused on the agriculture economy? I mean, I think there are, from what I'm hearing from you, from both of you, really, is that there are significant interests all across this nation that benefit from the farm bill. Is a cleaner farm bill, you know, vice the SNAP program, is that a better way to go, possibly, or not? Uh, I would say no. Okay. And uh, this was done in the 70s on purpose. They brought the nutrition stuff into the farm bill for the very reason of of getting a broader support for the agriculture part of the bill. Uh, If you didn't have that in there, uh, we'd get in a fight amongst ourselves Mm. over these other issues, you know, that uh, payment limitations and, 
regional issues and that sort of thing. So I, you know, it's got its problems, but I, I, I would be very much against uh, trying to take nutrition out of it. And nutrition now is 85% of the spending in the farm bill is nutrition. Uh, you know, so uh, maybe 90% given the pandemic. Uh, so it's a, it's a problem, uh, especially with the Republicans, because you've got a lot of Republicans that don't have any farming and are not real big fans of the nutrition program that are, they're trying to take it out because they, they think they can get rid of both of them. They can get rid of farm programs and get rid of SNAP if they just split them. Hmm. And there's been an effort to do that over the last number of years. Commissioner Peterson, in the state of Minnesota, is it your department that administers the assistance programs embedded in the federal farm bill? Or does the funding through the federal farm bill get parsed out to other Minnesota state government departments for implementation across our state? If you do administer or administer any specific programs, how vital is the farm bill for our citizens inside those programs? Well, the, we do not uh, administer the uh, food assistance programs and uh, other state agencies do that, but they're incredibly important. And you know, they're, uh, you know, um, uh, a town in my, uh, in my county, uh, I live in Pine County, one of the grocery stores last week, uh, they had an issue with their uh, uh, benefits uh, program and uh, where they were going to lose it for six weeks because of kind of a technicality or something. And it was really interesting to see how important that is for the survival of the small town grocery uh, and the uh, amount of uh, seniors and, and low income people that use that, but also the people that need access to a grocery store and nutrition and uh, that too. And so to me, it really just highlighted uh, how important SNAP is uh, in those benefits. And so, um, you know, I do work with a lot with the other state agencies on issues like that and try to get those uh, when problems arise, uh, you know, and just really believe in how important that is. We have other programs that come through the farm bill, like uh, farm to school programs, where we're able to um, work to uh, uh, get more uh, farm uh, or local uh, foods uh, into schools. We have a really good, robust program with that and local purchasing programs for schools that uh, help uh, buy uh, local uh, 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 food to support uh, both health and uh, support the local farms. So a lot of good and important uh, programs for sure. And I agree too on the farm bill, you know, having worked on it for many years, that it's important that the two are tied together uh, and, uh, you know, and so I'm, I, I think it's really necessary that they stay together. I, 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 I would just to comment that I think it does. I mean, just I, we asked the question because we're trying to probe uh, the thoughts of the two of you. But it sort of makes really good sense to have the producers of food in our country directly connected to the most vulnerable of our citizens who really need that that food, that nutrition. Uh, so this is another question for both of you. The previous farm bill was crafted in 2018, runs through this year. Next farm bill has already been in the works for a while now. We're seeing a great deal of press coverage that's bubbling up about the negotiations on this current farm bill. 
As we've talked about a little bit in this show already, we've seen epic disruptions in the global supply chains, first from COVID-19, then from the war in Ukraine and the sanctions on Russia. Minnesota farmers have had to pay more for the fertilizer this last spring. Supplies of uh, farm commodities have been impacted around the world. I could go on and on and on about these disruptions. Uh, What kinds of things would both of you like to see in the new farm bill, the one that's being negotiated right now, uh, to bring greater resiliency to America and, and certainly to Minnesota's agricultural sector? Uh, Representative Peterson, maybe we can start with you. Um, so what does that mean? What does resiliency mean? <laughs> I think that's one of the problems we have right now is um, you have urban people that have been convinced that uh, we need to have regenerative agriculture. We need to have sustainable agriculture. We need to have resilient agriculture. Uh, and some of this has even slipped into the marketing of these products. The problem is nobody knows what that means, you know. And so now we have climate smart agriculture, uh, where the administration has put all this money out there, three billion dollars to people with these climate smart grants that they've given them, uh, you know, to try to improve the way we grow crops and so forth. Uh, the problem is with all of this stuff, there's no definition of that's agreed to by everybody about what this means, you know. So. Uh, I, my view is we have to be careful that what whatever we end up doing, we don't screw things up more than we solve. You know, uh, I think we're, there's there's ways to do things better, and and those things have gotten into the farm bill, and we have moved the needle in the right direction, but we've done it in a way that's not divisive, hmm. where you know we're we're giving incentives rather than pitting one group against the other. So I, I, uh, you know, I, I just. I think they got a big challenge ahead of them getting this done myself. Uh, and, uh, you know, because of all the new people, but maybe, maybe that'll help. Maybe having new people will make it easier. I don't know. We'll, we'll find out. <laughs> and commissioner Peterson. Well, I, I'm, you know, it, it's really interesting just to watch the politics on the farm bill too and everything. And I think, you know, I'm, I'm really, you know, please Senator Klobuchar is, you know, is a high ranking member uh, now on the uh, Senate Ag Committee, and that's helpful uh, for Minnesota as well as having two senators on the uh, Ag Committee. So we have double power working on that uh, on that farm bill, and uh, you know, plus we have Angie Craig, uh, who's built some seniority and and has built some to me respect. Uh, really appreciate you know she worked a lot with Representative Peterson and her time, and has really dug into uh, pieces on the farm bill. And then I've been real impressed with Brad Finstead, somebody I've known for twenty years, and his short time uh, in Congress, really working on trade uh, uh, pieces and biofuels too, as well as something that's really important. So I and. Uh, you know, to uh, Representative Peterson's point, one thing we haven't talked a lot about today is uh, the climate pieces that I think will be, uh, at least from the Senate side, really try to be baked into the farm bill and really addressed. And we're trying to keep those uh, positive that they're um, opportunities there for uh, Minnesota farmers. Uh, we're seeing great adoption of cover crops uh, and we're going to be able to uh, really start to get some great numbers on where we are with cover crops and are they having the impact uh, but also uh, no-till 
uh, in reduced till uh, farming uh, is uh, ramping up greatly across Minnesota. And so how those uh, impact and what kind of uh, place carbon will play into uh, that is very important. And then also biofuels is very important. I think one of the big developments that we see in Minnesota is the development of sustainable uh, airline fuel. Uh, you know, talking with our companies, uh, Cirrus uh, in Duluth or uh, you know, Delta, you know, we're not going to have electric planes for 20 to 50 years. And so we're going to be burning a lot of fuel and they're really looking at, uh, you know, um, again, uh, blending in more of uh, sustainable airline fuel. And that's a really hot topic that, you know, we continue to work on and look at incentives in the next farm bill for uh, building out uh, our biofuels uh, uh, to help reduce uh, greenhouse gas emissions. If I could ask a quick follow-up question, one of the one of the segments that we just touched on briefly earlier uh, was money that goes into research. Uh, Representative Peterson, you talked quite a bit about that. Uh, University of Minnesota land grant university. There, there's other land grant universities across the country. Uh, I know they do some great research on the agricultural side. It, would you would both of you like to see more funding for the land grant university research efforts uh, to help uh, advance agriculture science forward? Well, I think it's useful. Uh, but I, like I said earlier, uh, in addition to just doing the research for uh, for producers, uh, you know, we need to we need to have more research for policymakers so that they know what they're doing yeah. and they know what the outcome is going to be. Um, you know, uh, you know, getting back to this whole uh, what whatever we're going to do with uh, cl- climate smart and carbon and all that sort of thing. Uh, I think it's important that we do not set up a system where we're penalizing people. Mm. It's got to be a positive thing where there's incentives to get people to move in the right direction. You know, it's, for example, cover crops. Uh, University of Minnesota has done wonderful work on cover crops. Don Weiss and his people are probably the leaders in the country on cover crops. Uh, and so what was done in Washington is that you got a $5 discount off your crop insurance premium per acre uh, if you put a cover crop on. Well, nobody's going to do cover crops for $5 an acre, you know, and so I believe in cover crops, but we got to get more realistic about uh, what we're paying. And uh, you got to recognize also that cover crops are very different in the north than they are in the south because, we, you know, we don't have the growing season after we take the crops off. So it's very hard to figure out how to make cover crops work with sugar beets and potatoes, especially uh, how to get them to grow that late in the year and so forth. So um, anyway, it's complicated, but um, the research, you know, it's got to be focused in the right direction, like the sustainable aviation fuel. Um, If that's basically biodiesel, uh, that's one thing. But there's a there's people out there now trying to develop a drop-in uh, aviation fuel that is very similar to cellulosic ethanol, and I've been asking some questions about the feedstock and how this all works, and I'm not getting very good answers. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, it's, so it's like a, I think it's like 12 billion gallons uh, that they spend. In, there's 12 billion gallons of aviation fuel a year. And the one plant out there trying to do this uh, drop-in aviation fuel 
is set up to make 300 million gallons out of 12 billion. You know, so we just got to be careful about what's realistic, what works, what doesn't work, and uh, make sure the research is is put in the right place and not off on some. You got a bunch of snake oil salesmen out there like we had, you know, before, and uh, you got to be careful about it. And Commissioner Peterson, your thoughts on the research uh, funding? Yep, real quick, just super, uh, super important. One of the, another thing we didn't really touch on was animal disease, and Minnesota being a number one turkey uh, producing state, number two hog producing state, a large cattle uh, production, and we've had you know avian influenza, you know uh, African swine fevers on our doorstep. We've dealt with bovine tuberculosis. Uh, that research component that our university does, uh, chronic wasting disease in deer, uh, is super important to our livestock industry. And uh, you know, um, you know, the things that we benefit, plus the development of the new crops, you know, that uh, uh, that that is happening uh, at the university. Uh, Colin mentioned Don Wise and the Forever Green, the perennial Kernza, uh, uh, perennial wheat, perennial sunflowers, flax, things like that. Incredibly important. So. Hopefully, uh, all get supported. Gentlemen, time flies on public policy this week. We always <laughs> like to give our guests the final word on this show. Perhaps we could start with you, Representative Pearson. What thoughts would you like to leave with our listeners about the federal farm bill or about the importance of agricultural economy and the farmers who drive it in our state? Well, I think uh, it's a very important bill, and people should pay attention. Uh, so when your senator or representative comes around and has a farm bill listening session, uh, you know, make sure you show up and and uh, listen to what's going on and give your input because that is very important. Uh, so I would suggest that people pay attention. If uh, you belong to a group that's doing a fly-in out to D.C., uh, make sure you're part of that because, again, uh, the uh, those representatives and senators are only as good as the input they get. You know, they're not they're not uh, professional farmers or <laughs> professional conservationists. So they've they've got to get uh, information from people that are. And uh, so just stay engaged, pay pay attention, uh, and we'll hope we'll hope that uh, you know this uh, farm bill doesn't get into a big partisan fight like everything else, and uh, and it gets done by September 30th, and we'll see see what happens. Yeah. Commissioner Peterson, some conclusionary thoughts? Yeah, and uh, I always think to uh, COVID in April of 2020 when uh, COVID hit us hard besides toilet paper, what did everybody panic about? <laughs> they panicked about their food supply. And, yeah. you know, just looking at clips uh, from that time and, you know, and the headline was that the commissioner assures that we have confidence in our food supply. You know, and I think that to me, you know, it, it uh, we haven't had to worry about that in our country. I do the trade missions to other countries where that's a concern and people don't know uh, what that's like. And so the uh, work that's been put in the farm bill, we're not perfect. Uh, it has ensured that our country has a safe, affordable and accessible food supply. So really appreciate the opportunity to take some time to discuss that today. Unfortunately, we have hit the end of our uh, of our hour today. Representative Colin Peterson and Minnesota Commissioner for Agriculture Tom Peterson, thank you both so much for spending time with us this morning. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate the opportunity. So I'm I'm, I'm going to use this time to uh, 
Tom, can you call me in about an hour and a half? I need. To- uh, I think so. I think so. so I, I, need, uh, I need to talk to you about something. I'll, I'll be on the road then, and I'll uh, I'll give you a call. Okay, good. Thanks. Yeah. Got to take care of some business here. That's right. <laughs> take care. Yep. That will conclude See you guys. this edition of yep. Public Policy this week. We're on KYMN Radio AM 1080 and 95.1 each Friday morning from 10 to 11 a.m. On next Friday's edition of Public Policy This Week, Steve Poskanzer and Joe Moravchik will tackle the topic of space law with Professor Michelle L.D. Hanlon from the University of Mississippi. Be sure to join us. Thank you for joining us today on Public Policy This Week. Have a great weekend. Take care, everyone. You've been listening to Public Policy This Week. Tune in every Friday morning at 10 a.m. for more conversation with policy experts. Remember, this show can be found on your favorite podcast platform or stream it from kymnradio.net.